0: Shalom and Mazel Tov. So uh, there's a short message I want to share with you on this morning of Shabbat Hanukkah. Some of it is apparent to us, some of it may not so apparent to us, but I think it is a legitimately, distinctly Jewish thought. The first thing, a interesting thing to note about Hanukkah is, and this is a great uh, icebreaker or bar bet kind of idea if you ever run into such a moment again in the future, it goes like this. If you would ask people And I can't take credit for this idea, actually. It comes from uh, Jack Reimer, Rabbi Jack Reimer, who was a wonderful, wonderful writer, congregational rabbi for many, many years. So Jack Reimer posed this following idea. If you go to people and ask them, what day in the Jewish calendar was the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which was the portable synagogue, so to speak, that the Israelites worshiped in when they wandered in the desert for 40 years after leaving Egypt? If you ask people what day it was completed on, most people wouldn't know. For the record, the first day of Nisan. If you ask people, for example, on what day did Solomon complete the building of the Beit Hamikdash, Solomon's temple, the very first temple, most people wouldn't know. Sukkot. But if you ask most people, when was the temple rededicated? Everybody knows that. It's Hanukkah, which says a great deal about the holiday. It says also a great deal about what it means to rededicate yourself to things, which is to also suggest that dedication is nothing compared to rededication. It's not just putting yourself into something but then re-energizing yourself and reapplying yourself over and over again to something. But that's not, actually not what I want to talk about this morning. That's just the entree into Hanukkah. The idea about Hanukkah that I actually wanted to share with you this morning is an age-old question. I also can't take credit for it. It is a question that comes by way of one of the, our most outstanding, <clears throat> outstanding Jewish legalists who lived about 550 years ago 600 years, 550 years ago. His name is Joseph Caro. Rabbi Yosef Caro was the author of the, I think it could be safely said, the penultimate Jewish legal book called the Shulchan Aruch. In fact, Caro's uh, compendium of Talmudic decisions was considered to be so decisive. You ever heard of an idea called an axial age? You know what an axial age is? An axial age is, it's it's an historical, sociological, anthropological concept. An axial age says that there are certain moments in human history when things the very same thing is being discovered all over the world at the same time, but people don't know other people are discovering it. An example of that may be about 5,000 years ago, we know that writing exploded all over the world in ancient Egypt, in ancient Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, in ancient China, and amongst the Incans as well. They had no idea other people were learning how to write. And yet writing was exploding all over the world, these writing systems. It's a little freaky when you think about it. And there are other examples, uh, just to be clear, of other axial ages. I won't go into them now, but it's one example. There's an example of an Axial Age in Jewish history. There's been a few of them, but this one I'll share with you. As Rabbi Caro, who is a Spanish rabbinic scholar in the 15th century, as he was writing the Shulchan Aruch, this code of Jewish law, at the very same time, it began the idea amongst a very famous European rabbi, his name was Moses Isserles, to also begin writing a compendium of Talmudic decisions and when he saw the copy of Karo's book, he stopped writing his. He says, we don't need one. And what he ended up doing was just writing glosses, footnotes for Ashkenazic Jewry into the book. Karo po- points out an interesting question about Hanukkah that I wanted to share with you. Now, most of us know the famous, famous rationale, reason as to why we celebrate Hanukkah. And that is, The Greeks, the Maccabees, they fight. The Maccabees win. They go to the temple. They clean it up because it was all paganized by the Greeks. And Then when it comes time, after they finish cleaning everything up, there's one last thing they have to do. And what's that one last thing? They have to light the menorahs. As they begin looking around, they realize that there was only one bottle, one vase, container of kosher oil that they could use to light the menorah and that this one bottle of oil would only last typically for one day. And it would take about a week for new oil to come. And so they poured the oil, they lit the menorah, and then a miracle happened, and it burned for eight days until the next shipment arrived. That's the story that's typically told. And Caro asked the question that it doesn't make sense, he says. He goes, if you want to say to me that the Maccabees go and light the menorah, and then that the oil then miraculously burns even more consecutive continual days in order, and until the next shipment of oil is able to arrive, fine, he says, I'm willing to accept that. But then why, he asked, why is it that we celebrate eight days of Hanukkah? He says, you actually should only celebrate seven. Because the first day wasn't a miracle. The miracle happened after the first day. The miracle was, is not that they had enough oil for one day. The miracle was that they had enough oil for the other seven days until the next shipment of oil would have arrived. So Caro asks, if that's the rationale as to what you're celebrating, why do we celebrate eight days? an excellent question. Excellent question. The truth is, I have to tell you, when I encounter questions like this, I'm loath to answer them. In part because I think we all deeply appreciate that the Jewish culture that we have all grown up in, the Jewish culture that we love, the Jewish culture that has created Judaism, is a, is a culture not of answers but of questions. I should also share with you that as Rabbi Caro, this great rabbinic scholar from the 15th century, and then later on, his European rabbinic companion, Rabbi Islis, even as they went about the process of codifying all those Talmudic decisions and putting them into five books, even in the midst of all that, they were, were reluctant to do it because when you just only have answers, You forget the genius that creates the questions, that creates the answers. Judaism is a religion, a culture of questions. It is a culture of asking and talking and debating. It's the reason why there's lots of different kinds of Judaisms in the world. It is also the reason why there have always been many Judaisms in the world. Which is to say that Jews never only believed one thing. We've always believed lots of things. So a part of me is very reluctant, a little wary to answer the question, but I have to answer it because it is an important question. It's a question that I think explains exactly what we celebrate in Hanukkah. And the answer, I think, goes like this. Caro, before providing the answer, then even begins to wind deeper into the question himself. Have you ever lit an oil lamp before? An oil menorah? Any of you? Any of you? Okay, I'm gonna tell you how it's done. It's really simple. You take a cup of oil, okay? And then you have something called a wick. It can be anything that's inherently flammable. Thread, a towel, anything like that. You have to dip the wick in the oil to get it moist and saturated. You tighten it up, wind it, and then you put it inside the cup of oil, and then you pull a little bit of the wick over the side, and you light it. And then you know what happens? It lights, and you have light. (laughs) Cairo goes even further to say, like this, that the Maccabees could have taken wicks that were one-eighth the size of a normal wick. In other words, when they opened up and saw there was only one bottle of oil, they could have said to themselves, we know it's going to take a week in order for the new oil to arrive. They didn't have Amazon back then. So they knew it was going to take a week for the new oil to arrive. So then they could have said, you know what? Let's just make the wicks one-eighth the size of the normal wick, and you know what will happen? It will burn, and it will burn until the next shipment arrives. That was Carl's next question. And his answer to both of the questions is as follows. He says that when the Maccabees found that one bottle of oil, they didn't say to themselves, let's wait until the day before the next shipment of oil arrives so we won't light it and then it will go out and then we'll have to light it again. And they also didn't say, let's take the wicks and make them one-eighth the size of a normal wick so that for sure we'll know that it'll burn for eight days. It won't be a bright light, but it'll burn nonetheless. He says, no. The miracle of what the Maccabees did is that as soon as they saw that the oil was there, they poured it into the menorah and they lit it. And they didn't make the wicks one-eighth the size of a normal wick. They used the regular wicks. In other words, in the words of Caro, they lit the light and then let everything else flow from there. Which is an important lesson for us. The lesson for us is is that there is only so much that it is in our ability to do in this world. We cannot control everything. We may have our wishes, but we realize, of course, that the world will go according to its own way that at some level we have to surrender to the circumstances that we are in, but under no circumstances can we surrender to despair, and under no circumstances, under no circumstances, can we surrender what it means at that moment to live our lives, which is to say, in the beautiful words of Martin Luther King, the great American civil rights, rights leader, King once said that faith is taking a step and not knowing that there's a step there for you to put your foot on. What the Maccabees did in the most beautiful and defiant of Jewish ways is to light the lights, seize the moment, and then let everything else flow from there.